with the latest episode of the Wine on Tap podcast with your hosts Sue and Paul. So this afternoon we're talking about attitudes uh, and behaviours towards ageing, the ageing process. It seems that in a, most people are in a position where they hit their late 50s, early 60s and, and they're, they're considering retiring, they're starting to wind down, can't teach old dogs new tricks and those sorts of things. And yet when you take a rational look at things, that's not always the case. Good afternoon, Susan. What do you think about that? It's interesting because I think we've, um, you and I have started to think about it quite a lot lately. Yep. Um, you've got a big birthday coming up next week where you'll turn 60 and I hit 61 this year. And I would say the pair of us have probably got more irons in the fire and projects on the go than we've ever had before. Yep. And it feels like a really exciting time to be alive. Yeah, yeah. So you dug up some information about self-esteem, which might be a reasonable starting point. Why do people have a misconception about 60? Okay, so so this is a psychological study mm-hmm. about people – who are hitting 60, and it shows that their self-esteem peaks at around that age, and there was three different factors Mm -hmm. that actually promoted that. One was that many people have achieved some sort of professional success Mm -hmm. by the time they're 60. Another one is that they've learned to manage their finances better. So probably, what are we talking about, Um, 40 years in the workforce where you've been earning a a pay packet and you've gone through the early years where there wasn't much money around and and then you're putting kids through school and university and then by the time you're 60 you've usually got your children off your hands and so you've you've got some more disposable income um so starting to plan for say the future and maybe retirement and then the third one is that because your children are off your hands, you've usually got a bit more leisure time than you've had previously. So that gives you more time to, say, um, have some hobbies, get some more physical exercise in, read, read some more books, watch more movies, spend some more time developing strong social connections with people, just those sorts of things. Mm-hmm. So that's one side of it. On the flip side, I'm not so sure about the self-esteem thing. Because I've heard people talking about starting to feel as they get a bit older that they start to become invisible. Oh, okay. So usually I don't know about you, but I'd be glad to be invisible in certain areas of my life. (laughs) Oh, you're talking about that birthday gift that you get when you turn 50, which is the the spare tyre around your middle. Yeah, just wait till you're 60. Yeah, yeah. That comes with a whole different set of birthday gifts. Comes with an inner tube as well, does it? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's when there's some aches and pains oh, start and to pains. come around as oh, well. Yeah. Now talk to me about being invisible. Okay. So I hadn't experienced it um, myself, but a friend of ours um, had said to me, oh, I'm going back about eight years when she was in a very senior position um, within government that she kept feeling as if she was being treated as if she was invisible, not in her work life, but actually in her private life. So I found this interesting and started to sort of explore it a little bit more with her. Now, she was very active in ballroom dancing circles. And she said that 
as you can imagine, um, these ballroom dancing classes have a lot more women going to them than they have men. So there's usually a couple of female partners for every male that goes along. Now, she's very competent and has been doing this for a, a lot of years. But what she found was that the men were choosing younger, prettier women who had much less skill on the dance floor than somebody who could really dance. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just hadn't come across this before. And so we discussed it at great length and, and she she had started to find it in other areas such as, you know, going into a coffee shop and trying to get served or trying to get served at a bar, whereas I'd never come across this before until about four years later when I was in a big department store and I had a high need for a MAC lipstick and the mm-hmm. um, shop assistant came over and said to me, can I help you? And I said to her, yes, I was here to buy lipstick. And with a very nonchalant wave of her hand, she said to me, oh, yeah, the lipsticks are over there. So I turned on my heel, walked out, went to Mecca and spent $200 on everything but a MAC lipstick. (laughs) And it was the first time that I'd noticed this happen. But I wonder how many other people allow that kind of attitude to determine how they feel about themselves, their self-confidence, their self-esteem and their acting. Yeah. So this sounds like a bit of a dichotomy, doesn't it, in a lot of ways? Because on the one hand, it's 60 of these studies, um, and we'll list the paper uh, in the show notes, but on the one hand, self-esteem peaks at 60, and yet on the other hand, there's this feeling of becoming invisible or, or being discounted. So it's kind of interesting, isn't it, when you think about it? And it comes down to the individual, surely, in terms of the fact that if you're, you can either do what you did. I mean, in a lot of ways, you've proven that that it is that your self-esteem was high enough to turn around and go, so I'm going to go somewhere else and I'm going to buy what I want to buy. Mm. You know, whereas if your self-esteem wasn't so strong, that you might have just accepted the poor service. Yeah, I mean... It comes down to a choice, I think is what I'm saying. It does come down to a choice, but one of the things I think I've noticed is that a lot of department stores, especially in, say, the cosmetics area, Mm. have very young people working there, and I think they relate to other young people. Yeah. And, well, you, as you know, I um, follow and have bought makeup from um, a a UK company called Look Fabulous Forever. Mm. Now, Trisha Cudson was a, a woman on her own. She found at 65 that she was retired from a corporate job. She found herself in this position. Mm. She she didn't want to go to the big department stores and buy makeup from someone who was 20 for her 65-year-old skin. So she went out, found a manufacturer, made her own line of cosmetics specifically for older faces, and now at 71 she's featured quite regularly in the Daily Mail and on TV. She's got a number of older British women who are ambassadors for the brand behind her, and I think there's a lot of that where women can use and, and men of, as well can use the experience that they've gained from many decades in the workforce to start something for themselves at a much older age. Yes, yeah. 
I mean, it is interesting. Certainly there's a, a number of gamers that I uh, watch and sponsor on Twitch and, and on YouTube and Old Man Force at 28 or 32 or whatever it was. And, <laughs> and, and even to a certain extent, some of the, 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 the bigger uh, YouTube stars of today, there seems to be, and social media generally isn't assisting in this perception that uh, once you hit 30 or 40, you're finished. When in actual fact, you don't know that until you reach another age. I was just and thinking, what's he going to think when he's 60? He's going to yeah. look back on that sort of attitude or comment and go, what was I thinking? Yeah, I think that's I'm exactly just hitting what he, my strides that, now. I think that's exactly what he'll do. And it's not until you reach uh, an age, whether it's 40, 50, 60, 70, when Stan Lee was making movies at 80 or 85 or whatever he was, you look at Iris Apfel who became a superstar at, 89 or something thanks to a movie and you look at the new york scene what are they what are the ari seth cohen yes uh, uh, oh the beautiful advanced advanced style, uh, advanced style mm-hmm. couples and yeah. women yeah. that he photographs yeah just beautiful so it's very interesting that that when you're young and i, th- I don't think it really actually really matters what age we're in but this particular age that we're in now with social media with youtube channels with twitch and with all of the other social media platforms promoting uh, a lifestyle and a perception of a lifestyle that there does seem to be this movement that things that when you hit 60 you're finished And, and i don't know maybe it's always been there People live longer these days. They're much more active because we don't have to physically work hard any longer to maintain a survival. Mm-hmm. Um, it doesn't take so much toll on the body, particularly for men. I mean, obviously it does in some industries, but 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 not as a general rule. The fact is that people are living longer. Well, we have uh, access to such good health care now yeah. as well. and There's just a lot more know. opportunities all around. Yeah, I mean, yeah. You, better nutrition and but and more opportunity yeah because just because you're not working in corporate anymore but you've got 40 years of experience you're a little bit more financially stable than you would have been at 18 and just because you're not working a conventional job doesn't mean that you can't head off into a whole other career and continue that working from home or, or just learning a new trade yeah. or learning a new, oh, a new skill and if you're at you're 60 and you're at the, the peak of your self-esteem then the only thing holding you back is your own brain yeah thinking yeah. well i'm too old to do that or or you know what will people think of me yeah, I think I think we've kind of got it the wrong way round. Yeah. You know, instead of looking at 60 and looking at 65 and then maybe people out there will be going, "Oh yeah, well, they're just in denial." I don't know. <laughs> um but uh, I don't care. I don't care what what anyone thinks. No, no. If I'm in denial, yeah, I'm in yeah, denial. Yeah, <laughs> frankly, I don't care what anyone thinks either, but uh, you find yourself in a position where you've got a lot more income uh and a lot more opportunity and a lot more time to actually put into something new, you actually do have the time to to learn new skills and different skills. You have more opportunity to travel. I mean, let's face it, as a family of four, if you're travelling as a couple, you've halved your travelling costs straight away. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> you know, if it's just the two of you. So, um, I mean, hence the podcast, I think. But even outside of travel, you know, there's so much free 
opportunity to learn. So mm. even if you don't have the level of income, the libraries offer so much. Um, I even found the other day Harvard offers free courses over the internet. You, you know, yeah. if if you search hard enough, there's stuff that you mm. can do to help you either physically or mentally that costs nothing. When you're 40 and you've got a family and a career to work on, who has the time to do that? Absolutely. When you yeah. hit 60. Yeah, yeah, you've you, got time. You've got yeah. time, you've yeah. got – you know, as much time, I mean, and you can make time. I mean, you won't, we only all get 24 hours a day. It's just a question of where we choose to put it. Yeah, but- absolutely. I remember when I was 42 and I signed up to go to university and I, I asked somebody, so how much time is this going to cost me a week? And I was already working full time and they said, oh, well, you'd probably have to put 10 hours per week per, per subject into it. So that was 20 hours that I didn't have before that I then had to find. Yeah. And as a family – we banded together and we found that time for me to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, so there's always movement in terms of time because all it is is choices. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, 40, 30, you, you could do those courses, but generally we get sidetracked to, yeah. to other things. But at 60, you're not so sidetracked. Mm-hmm. Well, you know, even at 55, you, you, you have an opportunity to still choose what you're going to do, but the choices are potentially a little bit easier. So staying mentally active is, is, is one of the things that I think we really need to stick to, but also staying physically active. So by that, I don't mean going to the gym regularly. But I think I really, <laughs> I really do, and you know this, I've always believed that if you don't use it, you'll lose it. Mm-hmm. I think you have to keep moving. And you know as well as I do that we've noticed that there are aches and pains come once you get to a certain age. There are, yeah. but you've got an example of where you, you do have to be careful yeah, yeah. So Haven't you? Yeah, that's right. So this time last year when um, we made some lifestyle changes and I had a little bit more time on my hands, I went gung-ho into exercise and I'm paying the price for it 12 months later and, th- and through the past 12 months, getting addicted to doing reformer Pilates classes, also walking and or running and taking a yoga class once a week, which was probably the best thing I did to to help stem the quick barrage into exercise that I started doing. And after about six months, I suddenly started having all these problems in both hips to the point where even being in bed at night was really uncomfortable. And I found a fabulous physiotherapist who massaged me into being ready to hop on a plane. But And and some of those days overseas, we were walking sort of 25 kilometres in a day and I I managed to make it through that. But coming back um, and getting back into a normal lifestyle, six months later, I'm still having physio for this Mm. and having to do exercises every day now. But I just hit it too hard. And whilst if I'd been 40 and hit it that hard, I would have been fine. But at 60, some of of these – 
muscles and bones that I've got have been going for 60 years. and well, um, All of them, I imagine. Well, probably yeah. they, they change every seven years. Well, but yeah. yeah, I'm not sure everything does. I think no. some of your cells renew every seven, year, seven years, but I'm not sure no, everything does. Everything does within but, seven but years. Yeah, but yeah, and um, so if you overdo it, you pay the price. But I really do believe in just moving, you know, mm. and especially – people like me who has a desk-bound job. Mm. So what was the problem? What the physio has told me is that it's the small muscles that surround the bursa that have been damaged. Mm -hmm. So a lot of the exercise that I'm doing, if you saw me doing it, you'd think I was just lying on the floor absolutely doing nothing. But it's very small movements. It's almost more like thinking about making a movement <laughs> than actually doing the movement itself. Sounds like my kind of exercise, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. I think about the gym a lot. <laughs> no, I don't. Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> I think you've been in a gym twice in your life, haven't you? Yeah, and I think once was on a cruise ship to have a look. Oh yeah, yeah. And the other was when our kids had opened a gym. Yeah, and we went to the opening. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They did get me to put the weights away at the end of the <laughs> afternoon. I have to say that was first time I'd lifted weights. Yeah. You didn't mess your jacket up or anything, or your nice. No, trousers. I didn't take it off either. <laughs> didn't exactly work up a sweat. So. <laughs> Indoor kid, what can I say? So sort of around this this age, I suppose we've had a lot more time to sit around on a weekend and talk about our lifestyle mm-hmm. and and what we want to do in life and stuff. And I suppose we've got opportunities to do things that our parents at this age didn't have to do, such as doing this podcast, for instance. Mm-hmm. Um when my dad died and I had to do his eulogy, I was really fortunate that he'd been writing stories about his life yeah. that I was able to use. He would have been a great blogger. Yes. Uh, um, but, you know, there was no such thing really in terms of the mainstream mm-hmm. media yeah. that he wouldn't have known about blogging. No. Well, he did blog. Yeah. But he wrote to the editor of the new, local newspaper. <laughs> that, that was modern day blogging. Yeah. Oh, at that yeah. time, sorry. Yeah. Not modern day, but that was blogging at that time. Yeah. So he used to write, but he, he wrote letters of complaint. Maybe why not that? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he wrote stories for the publication where he grew up as a kid. Yes. Uh, yeah. And, yeah. Um, and so he did in a, in a lot of ways. And oh, he was, ve- yeah. he was very fortunate as well. Um, Mum and dad lived you know, as you know, overseas um, Mm. in the 80s and he came back to Australia in his mid-50s and couldn't get a job back in the kind of industry he'd been working in. Mm -hmm. But he was fortunate enough to have music, being a jazz musician, and he did that until he was well into his 70s. And having that sideline, you know, it would be really nice if we all had a bit of a sideline to our Mm -hmm ordinary work life that we can carry on with when we get old enough to have the time to do it. Yeah, interesting that in a lot of ways that's more important today than maybe it was back in the day. Whereas before it was, well, I guess it was an opportunity for him to earn a bit more money. It was a distraction from his workaday job. Yep. 
But today there are, so again, so many opportunities that perhaps whatever passion you have, uh, if you can find some way to forge a career from that, there are a lot more opportunities today than there have ever been. Yeah, yeah. And a lot of it is about, and this is away from attitude about ageing, but it's attitude to what you do as well, whether it is your day-to-day job or um, something that you do as a sideline. I was listening to um, Oprah Winfrey the other day and she was saying that um, back in the early days of when she was working in TV, she'd stopped and picked up um, the one of the janitors as she was driving to the studio one morning and she had him in the car and she said to him, um, how do you like your job? And he said to her, I absolutely love working in TV. <laughs> awesome. And I just thought that was brilliant, yeah. you know, and, and he would have – for yes. somebody like her as well, who has that kind of attitude to everything she does, mm-hmm. she just picked up on it so well. Yeah, yeah. So you mentioned happiness. Do you want to talk about your happiness program? Um, it's a very small acorn at the moment mm-hmm. that's I, I reckon is going to grow into a an yeah. oak tree. Tell me about that. Um, this is only – oh, I wasn't expecting to talk about this, but this has only just come to me – in about the last month, it's one of those things, you, you know, where you keep hearing everybody's got a good book in them. Mm-hmm. And I fully believe that, mm-hmm. but I could never work out what I could actually write a book about. And I know I look at a lot of people who have some sort of speciality in their life. And I kept trying to think of, well, what could I do? Could I, can I blog about fashion or aging or makeup or whatever? And nothing, but nothing would come to me. Nothing felt comfortable. And I came across um, this guy called Sean Aker, who is a happiness researcher in the US. And I have absolutely not only fallen in love with him, (laughs) but he has sparked within me something that feels like a really comfortable set of clothing. Right. In that I believe I'm a positive person. I think my happiness base level is relatively high. Mm -hmm. And I generally look for the most optimistic viewpoint. I I would never call myself a pessimist. I think I'm an optimist. That doesn't mean I'm happy all the time. It doesn't mean that I don't have problems or get upset about stuff or get angry about things. But generally, my baseline, I think, is a little bit higher than other people. And I see this as something that I can not only do as a sideline to my own job, but that I can do into the future because I honestly believe that it's one aspect of human nature that is like throwing a pebble into a pond. Mm -hmm. If you can give somebody a smile or a word of thanks or just an uplifting compliment. It's like throwing a pebble into the water that ripples out Mm -hmm. for we don't know how far. Yeah. 
So when you say it, what do you mean? Do you see it as a program or as a course or do you see it as a, an attitude and a behaviour? Do you see it as... Um, Can I say yes to all of those yeah, things? Yeah, sure. At this point in time, I see it as something, as I say, it's it's in its real infancy mm-hmm. stages, mm-hmm. Um, but I think I can see it as a course, a lecture tour, mm-hmm. a blog, mm-hmm. yeah, all of those things. Yeah. So, so again, what is it? Is it a, how to become happier? Is it how to enjoy life? Is it how to succeed at work through happiness? Um, how, do, how does that manifest itself? Again, I think it's all of those things. <laughs> it's You're obviously a, passionate about this because you're tearing yeah, up there. Yeah, yeah. At the moment for me, it's mm. a feeling. Yeah, okay. It's a feeling that I've got something that I can share yeah. that I actually haven't formulated yeah. into what it's going to be. Okay. And I'm very fortunate in that I have – a group of people that work in my organisation that I can use as my guinea pigs and mm-hmm. they've put their hands up and mm-hmm. said that they're prepared to do that. Yeah. And at the moment I'm looking at the top of the iceberg. Yeah, right. So yeah. do you have any examples? I think there was Sean Aker tells a story about hotel, about how this happiness thing works. Yes, and, and so that's the um, 10-5 rule that the Ritz-Carlton works on in America. So if you're 10 feet away from somebody, the training is that mm. you smile at them. Yep. If you're five feet away from them, you say hi right. or hello. So I see how that works in a hospitality situation, but you work with a firm of accountants. You got any examples about how that might work with professional services? Or- okay. So what happened was Sean actually went into an American hospitals group and was asked to try and help them because their revenues were falling. Yes, right. And he decided to use what the Ritz-Carlton does mm-hmm. in one hospital. So he started talking to those in the leadership positions about doing this 10-5 rule. Ten feet away, you smile. Five feet away, you say hello. Yeah. And um, the doctors who were paid big money by the hospital to save people's lives all said, no, 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 we're not going to do that. You Mm -hmm. pay us to come in here, look after people, save people's lives. We're not prepared to play your 10-5 rule. So what they did was they worked with everybody else, the nursing staff, the Mm -hmm. admin staff, the janitorial staff, and they got them doing it. And then pretty soon what they noticed was – the doctors were joining in as well. Right. But it then went further than that. So people who knew nothing whatsoever about the program, so visitors to the hospital mm-hmm. or outside contractors, they were starting to pick up on it. Now, there was no signs on the wall that said this is the rule around here, but they started to do that. What they found was they were starting to get more patients, they were starting to get more referrals, and pretty soon revenues started to go yeah, up. Yeah. So there was this knock-on effect mm-hmm. based on one very, very simple mm-hmm. program. Was there any impact on healthcare as well? Yes. So oh, yeah. Okay. Yes. Yeah, so survival rates were starting to go up as well. Right. Because attitudes had been changed. So yeah. people with a more optimistic attitude to their healthcare 
yeah. were starting to show the signs of that. So that was the knock-on effect. Yes, right. So, so how can I use that in an accounting form? Okay, really interesting. What do accountants like to do? Work with spreadsheets. They love to work with spreadsheets. Mm-hmm. They love to have an office to themselves because they don't get bothered too much. They love to sit for hours in front of a screen and not talk much to to, to co-workers. But what I found was where I work, I, I was actually having trouble getting some of them to make eye contact with me when I passed them in the hall. Or they much prefer me to send them an email. That's because you're old. Rather than <laughs> <laughs> Do you think so? <laughs> No, I think I'm just annoying. I'm just I'm just this this noisy bubbly person who prefers to speak rather than send an email. Mm-hmm. Um so imagine the knock-on effect as we go through this with our firm doing it on what it can have with our clients. Yeah. Because the wonderful thing about working in an accounting firm is it's not just the people that you've got in the accounting firm, it's the wonderful thousand or so clients that you've got who you can have that effect on as well. And then they go back into their firm and they're carrying with them some of the attitudes and behaviours that they've seen. Yeah. It'll be interesting to see how that goes and how you introduce that and and to see what impact it has on on the organisation and the client base. And I would like nothing more than to share that as as, yeah, as it goes go on. on because I think um, when you start talking about something when it's in its absolute infancy, you yeah. really can start to measure the outcomes as time goes on. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah. So we've come a long way from just ageing but I think at the end of the day it comes down to perceptions, self-perception, self-fulfilling prophecies in a lot of ways. I don't think our grandparents and our parents thought that once you got to 60 you could start to do something completely different and new. No. And I think we're starting our generation is probably the one to be breaking these bounds. It it seems to be this age does not age as in 50 60 70 but this time in a, in in civilization it does seem to be that this is a groundbreaking kind of time yeah and yeah. Ac- across every kind of yeah. industry you know whether people are group. whether people are writing books or making movies yeah. or or just starting a new career or opening a shop or, yeah. you know opening a coffee shop um there's a uk model uh, called Nicola Griffin, who's mm-hmm. 57 now. She started modelling at 53. Yeah. You know, women my age, we want to see clothes on other people our age. Yes. We don't want to buy stuff that 20-year-olds are wearing. No. 20-year-olds want to wear stuff that 20-year-olds are wearing. Yes. It, it, interesting that um, even in this day and age that, that it, this idea of demographics, whilst it's being used for um, for profiling, it's being used negatively for profiling, or you're not, you're not in my, this age group. Therefore, you know, we're not selling our product to you. It's not about that. It's about realizing that there are gaps in the market. Uh, it, interesting. We're not there yet. I was reading a blog from Ninety Nine U, which is the uh, one of the creative outlets for Adobe, and they were talking about this graphic artist who started late in life and uh, 
who at 40 decided that they were going to uh, to try their hand with, at uh, design, graphic design. Mm-hmm. Um, and by 50 have bec- has become one of the leading lights in, in graphic design as if that was a late start in life. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And yet in my experience, you don't know these things until you reach the age. Yeah. Um, and it, in my opinion is that every age you look back and realize how little you knew so at 40 i look back and realized how little i knew at 30 and then at 50 i look back and realized that when 40 sailed past me i didn't even notice at 50 i look back and realized how little i knew at 40 you know and as i'm approaching 60 i'm looking back and going i don't feel limited by age no, I wonder if we become more introspective around this age, though. Whereas when we were forty, we were so busy bringing up kids and forging a career a and doing everything, we never took time to think about what was going on. No, you know, I- we took time to talk, and mm-hmm. you know, but but yeah. It was a very fast-paced life. Yeah, but I think that's the point I'm, yeah. I'm trying to make: is yeah. the fact that that you you look at it at sixty. And you've got more time to contemplate things. You you can you've got more experience than that you can draw on. You've got more time. You've got more potentially more money. The only thing that really gets in your way is is that perception that you're finished. Any closing thoughts? Stay active. I suppose is the is the thing. Don't think. Don't view older age as the end of the uh, of the as the end of the journey. It's just a crossroads. It's another crossroads. Mm, mm. In actual fact, I think that this is probably a jumping off point because you know, if you're at the top of your self-esteem, you're at the top of the, the money earnings potential or, or certainly getting that way, you've got all this experience and, and, and knowledge and you've got fingertips on lots of information. Why would this be a downward spiral from here? You can reinvent yourself. Certainly. Physically, you change. The thing is to not fixate on those things. So yeah, I suppose if you're busy in lots of areas of your life, it doesn't you, give you time to fixate on those. You don't have time to think those. about those things. Yeah. That's right, yeah. yeah. But don't overdo it either. Yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. Physiologically, absolutely. you are different. Yeah. Uh, but that said, it shouldn't be an encumbrance. Yeah, and the thing is that it's it's keeping active in your body and keeping active in your mind. Mm-hmm. So no point in um, keeping your mind active if your body can't keep up with you yeah. either. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it's a balance between the two. Yeah. There's just so much opportunity today. Yeah. I, th- I think yeah. we are at the absolute best time. And that's not to say that in 10 years' time it won't be the best time yet again. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. <laughs> it, it is the best yeah. time right now. of now, right now. Yes, now is the best time now has. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, because yesterday <laughs> is the past and tomorrow is a promissory yep. note. You can't fix anything from yesterday and uh, you don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. All you have is today. Mm-hmm. So yep. use it wisely. Yep. All we're really doing is talking about attitudes to ageing. Yeah. Isn't it? Yes. Let's yeah. boil it down to that. Yeah, I think World so. World attitudes yeah. to aging. Oh, and, and personal attitudes towards yeah. aging okay. as well. Yeah. Because how your attitude, we've always said attitudes, values and behaviours, what determines your quality of life at the mm. end of the day, whether it's success or longevity or, or whatever. If you have the right 
values and the right beliefs and the mm. right attitudes, yeah. then that makes all the difference. Mm. So it's not just how much do you buy into the self-fulfilling prophecy that once you get to a certain age, you're finished. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And the harder you buy into that, then the less likely it is that you're going to, to survive uh, yeah. to a, a, an older age because, well, you know, everyone reckons that you're finished by 70, so... Mm. You're winding down when in actual fact you're peaking at 60. Okay, well, we might leave it there. Thanks for joining us and uh, we look forward to your company in the next one. Yeah, and send us your questions. For further information on the books and resources mentioned in this episode, go to our website, wineontap.com.